This is Wisdom from Above, and here's Dr. Harlan Betts. Greetings, my podcast friends. Welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we seek to go beyond the reasoning of men to the revelation of God. In our last episode, we discussed the law of Christ. You might remember the acronym. Law, L-A-W. L is loving God and others. A is abiding in the Word, both the living Word, Jesus, and the written Word, the Bible. And W is witnessing to those who do not yet know Christ. We discovered that there are four ways that we can know what to do under the law of Christ. First, there are positive commands that are always right to do. Second, there are negative commands that are always wrong to do. Third, there are rules legislated by an authority. And fourth, there are principles guided by several questions related to our relationship to God, ourselves, and others. One of our listeners asked me a question about that episode. What if the person who is an authority asks us to do something wrong? That is a great question. Rather than looking at every kind of authority, let's discover the answer by focusing on one kind of authority, uh, government, and then we'll know the answer to any authority. So the question is, are there times when it is okay to disobey an authority? Or in the case of our government, is there such a thing as biblical civil disobedience? The government is responsible to promote peace, protect her citizens, and punish evildoers. The Christian citizen's responsibility to the government is obedience, respect, support, and prayer. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 and the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 both speak at length about the reasons for submission to our governmental authority. So it is obvious the citizen is to obey his government. But to what extent? Is there ever a legitimate reason for civil disobedience? I believe the answer from the scripture is clearly yes. Yes, there are occasions when we can and we should disobey our government. Let me take you to the book of Acts, chapter 4. I want to set the context of this passage. Jesus had died, was buried, and had risen from the dead. Jesus had presented himself alive for 40 days, meeting with folks before he ascended up to heaven. Shortly after that, the Holy Spirit came down to begin permanently indwelling believers, and the local church began. Uh, Peter gave a stirring message about Jesus being both Lord and Messiah, and about Jesus' death and resurrection, and 3,000 people were saved. Then Peter and John were having an effective ministry, teaching that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. The Sanhedrin, who were both the religious authorities and the political authorities at that time, marveled at the impact of these two uneducated and untrained men. The Sanhedrin could not deny the miracles that Peter and John 
had performed through the power of God, and they could not stop people from believing in the Jesus that they were proclaiming. So they decided to severely beat, threaten Peter and John. They called Peter and John and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That's Acts 4.18. But Peter and John answered and said to them, this is Acts 4.19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to listen to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. Peter and John willfully chose to actively disobey the command of the Sanhedrin. How could they do that? The answer, found in Acts 4.19, is because what God says is more important than what any other authority says. When any authority says something contrary to what God has said, we must listen to God. They were told by God to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They could not be silent. Now let's go on to Acts chapter 5. The apostles were continuing to preach and to teach and multitudes of men and women were believing in Jesus. The high priest and those with him in the Sanhedrin were filled with indignation and they seized the apostles and put them in a common prison. That night the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and led the apostles out of the prison and commanded the apostles, quote, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. That's Acts 5, 19 and 20. So the apostles went to the temple and were teaching the people about Jesus. When the authorities discovered the apostles had escaped prison and were preaching about Jesus, they went to the temple and carefully got the apostles and brought the apostles before the Sanhedrin. The high priest said, quote, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. End of quote. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, quote, We must obey God rather than men. End of quote. We must obey God rather than men. The apostles willfully chose to actively disobey the command of the Sanhedrin. How could they do that? The answer is found in Acts 5.29. And it is because we must obey God rather than men. When any authority asks us to do something God has told us not to do, or when any authority tells us to do something God has told us not to do, we must obey God rather than that other authority. Now some of you might be asking, is this some kind of situational ethics where it is sometimes the right thing to do the wrong thing? Absolutely not. These apostles did not choose to do the wrong thing. They chose to do the right thing. They were being commanded by the human authorities to do the wrong thing. Let me say that in another way. 
When your authority commands you to do the wrong thing, you can choose to do the right thing. But, like the apostles, you will still face the consequences. And by the way, sometimes God miraculously delivered his people from prisons, and sometimes he did not deliver them from prisons. Sometimes he delivered them out of the trial. Sometimes he was just with them in the trial. Anytime our authority's command is contrary to God's command, we are not only free to disobey our human authority, we are required to disobey our human authority. We must obey God rather than men. So how does this fit with the law of Christ? If any authority gives us a rule that is contrary to a positive command of God, or if any authority gives us a rule that is contrary to a negative command of God, then we are free to disobey our authority. Let me share one more example from the book of Acts. The setting is Paul's second missionary journey. Paul and Silas had responded to the Macedonian call, and they had gone over into Europe. They healed a demonized girl with a spirit of divination that was being used by her masters for profit. When her masters realized their hope for profit was gone, they drugged Paul and Silas before the authorities and accused them of being troublemakers and of teaching things contrary to Roman law. Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail. Paul and Silas were singing and praying and preaching while in jail. The prisoners were listening. God caused an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and all the doors of the prison were opened and every prisoner's chains were loosened. The prison keeper was about to kill himself when Paul stopped him and told him that none of the prisoners had walked out. The prison keeper immediately fell down before Paul and Silas and said, What must I do? and keep on doing in order to be saved? What a tremendous question. Don't miss Paul's answer. Paul replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ at this point in time, and you will be saved forever. This is true for you, if you believe, and it is true for everyone in your household, if they believe. And and by the way, they did believe, and they were all saved, and they were all baptized. This is found in Acts 16, 25-34. When daylight came, the magistrates sent officers and said, Let Paul and Silas go. So the jailkeeper told Paul and the authorities that they were free to go, so they could go in peace. And now I want to quote from Acts 16, verse 37 to 40. But Paul said to them, They have 
beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates. And the magistrates were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with Paul and Silas and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So Paul and Silas went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and they departed. Charles Ryrie has a book called What You Should Know About Social Responsibility. And he makes this comment about this situation. Pressure can be properly applied to bring governmental authorities to do what they're supposed to do. Paul staged a first century sit-in. Having been beaten without a trial, he refused to move until the authorities came and apologized for violating his rights as a Roman citizen. Paul was using a legitimate tactic to compel Roman authorities to fulfill their legal responsibilities. <coughs> now let me share an example of civil disobedience from the book of Exodus. We're looking at a time when the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. The Israelites were fruitful and increased greatly in number. At this time, there were probably around 5 million Israelites in bondage in Egypt. The new king of Egypt, who did not know Joseph, was scared about this growing number of Hebrew slaves, realizing that in the event that Egypt went to war, the Hebrew slaves could join the enemies and fight against Egypt. So he came up with an evil plan. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, his plan was to work the Israelite slaves to death, to afflict them horribly with long hours and heavy labors. But the Israelites still grew a number. So the king came up with an even more evil plan. He told the midwives, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, then he shall live. She shall live. Exodus one sixteen. Now watch this from Exodus one seventeen to twenty one. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dwelt. Excuse me. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that God provided households for them. These midwives first disobeyed the king's orders about killing the male children. And then they lied to the king about why the male children still lived. It is very important to notice what the Bible says about how God viewed the midwives' attitude and action. God honored them for saving the male Hebrew children. 
and God honored them because they feared him. This is an amazing example from the Old Testament of civil disobedience, where we must listen to God over listening to our human authority, and we must obey God over our human authority. Now let's look at another example from Exodus. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had another incredibly evil plan. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. So this new law was that every male Hebrew child was to be cast into the Nile River. Now let's read on in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she, she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked alongside the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then the child's sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became the Pharaoh's daughter's son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. This is a beautiful picture of nonviolent civil disobedience that takes place in the middle of horrific violence. The Egyptian king's command is that all Hebrew baby boys are to be killed by casting them into the Nile River. But in this amazing story, we have a whole family that is willfully disobeying the king's command. Instead of throwing the baby into the Nile River, they first hide him in their house. Then when he's too old to be hidden, the mama makes a mini basket boat out of bulrushes and tar and puts the baby in that basket and puts the basket in the reeds by the Nile River's bank. She has her daughter watch the basket from a distance, and in God's providence, the king's daughter, the princess, goes down to the river to bathe and sees the basket, has her one of her maids gets it, opens it, discovers the baby boy weeping, and the Bible says that the princess had compassion on the boy and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She knows what her dad had ordered. She knows the baby was to be destroyed, cast into the Nile River. But she rescues the boy. She names the baby boy Moses, which means drawn out, because she drew him out of the water. Now you've probably heard people say that the princess was a great investor because she drew a little profit from the bank of the Nile. <laughs> the, the Bible says in Hebrews 11.23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Not only did this family disobey the king's orders, the princess disobeyed the king's orders, but God was pleased. 
God would one day call Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and up to Mount Sinai and over to the Promised Land. The civilly disobedient actions of Moses' parents were considered actions of faith, and they were honored for their faith. Let's look at another example of civil disobedience. Joshua was about to lead the Israelites into the Promised Land. He sent some spies in to check out the land. And Joshua chapter 2 tells the thrilling story of the two spies checking out Jericho. They came to the home of a harlot named Rahab and stayed at her home. It was reported to the king of Jericho, and the king sent men to Rahab telling her to bring out the men who were enemies searching out the land. Now Rahab had taken the, in the two spies, and she had hid them under stalks of flax on her roof. But she told the king's men that the spies had come to her, and she did not know where they were from, and when it was dark they went out, and if these men would pursue them quickly they might overtake them. Then Rahab explained to the two spies that she knew the Lord had given the Israelites this land, and she knew their Lord was the God of heaven and earth. And she asked them to show her kindness, just as she had shown them kindness. And her request was granted. Her civil disobedience was honored by God. Note, first of all, that Rahab believed God. Note, secondly, that Rahab saved the lives of the two spies. And note, thirdly, that the Bible says in Hebrews eleven thirty one, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. Yes, she lied, but her lie came out of a desire to stand with those who were standing with God. And she saved the lives of those two spies. Now let's move on to the time of the Babylonian captivity. We see civil disobedience at least three times in the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, Daniel and his three friends refused to eat the king's delicacies, but did so graciously with an appeal for a testing period, which they passed, and God honored their choice. In chapter 3, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as I like to call them, shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed we go, they refused to bow to the king's golden image. King Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, called them before his throne. He asked if it was true that they would not worship his gods or worship his golden image. The king went on to say he would have all the instruments play again, and that they did not fall down and worship to his image, they would be cast into a fiery furnace. And now we read in verses 16 to 18 of chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, even if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Wow, what a, an amazing declaration of faith. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed, and he commanded his people to heat the furnace seven times hotter, and that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be bound and thrown in the furnace. The fire was so hot that the men who took them to the furnace to throw them into it were killed by the heat. But what happened next was shocking 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were alive and unbound and walking around in the fire with a fourth man who looked like the Son of God. Wow, what a phenomenal testimony to the greatness of our God and to the courage of these men. God honored them for their commitment to worship Him alone. Once again, civil disobedience was honored. In chapter 6, it is revealed that the, the king is thinking of placing Daniel over all the governors and leaders in the entire country. The other leaders were jealous and were trying to find some dirt on Daniel, some unfaithfulness, some error, but they could find nothing. And finally, one of them said, We shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they plotted against Daniel by asking King Darius to sign a decree that any man who petitions any god or man other than King Darius, that man should be thrown into lions then. And King Darius signed the decree, a decree which could not be revoked. Daniel, knowing the king had signed the decree, still did what he always did. He went to the upper room of his home, and with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and gave thanks to the Lord his God. He petitioned his God like he did every day. It was his normal custom. So he was disobeying this decree. He knew that this was against the king's most recent decree. The men plotting against him reported him to the king. The king actually respected Daniel and Daniel's God, and he tried every way to deliver him, but he couldn't. So Daniel was thrown into lion's den. But God, again we have this, but God delivered him. Once again we see civil disobedience was honored by God. Now let me broaden the application. Whoever the authority is that you are under, that authority is under God. Whether it is an authority in a home or a church or a business or a club or a school or a country or whatever, when that human authority gives you command that is contrary to what God has commanded, disobedience can be a biblical response. If it is possible, you try to appeal to the authority or get those over that authority to change the command or try to bring about a proper change. Sometimes you may have to move out from under that authority. Sometimes you just quietly disobey and hope you do not have to face serious consequences. Sadly, as we saw in the lives of the individuals we looked at today, the consequences of disobeying an authority can be severe. So what have we discovered? There are times when disobedience to a human authority, whoever that authority might be, is not only a possibility, it is a responsibility. In relation to positive commands, we should not obey an authority who asks us to refrain from doing something God has commanded us to do. In relationship to negative commands, we should not obey an authority that asks us to do something God has forbidden. We must obey God rather than men. I hope and pray that this advice will not be twisted into an excuse to disobey God-ordained authority. We do not get to disobey just because we don't like a command or just because we don't like the authority. We're only free to disobey if their command is truly opposed to a command of God. Well, that wraps up today's distinction, and I would say it is a distinction worth knowing. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please share them with others. Share it on Facebook. Share it in, other, in your email. Share it any way you can. And hit that subscribe or like button so that you're notified of each new weekly podcast. 
you can contact me at harlanbets at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me in this passionate quest for truth. This is Dr. Harlan Betts wishing you a great week and God's blessings. And I look forward to meeting you again next week for more Wisdom from Above.